And in January 2004, uh, she gave me a hug and found a lump under my arm. And that uh, showed that the melanoma that I'd had on the surface five years earlier had come back, but this time on the inside, and it was in my lymph nodes. Where they're saying, if you do all of this treatment, if we do all 153 of them, we do the surgery, um, you have a 60% chance of surviving. And you're sitting there thinking, that that's not... Like, I got 60s in high school. Those were D minuses. Um, I would like a little better uh, odds than that. And so God took a, a workaholic, performance-addicted person and said, hey, how, how about I teach you how to practice Sabbath for the next 13 months? And I said, oh, we don't need that. Thank you so much. We don't need that. We're okay. And Lisa said, shut up, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh. or I could just say thank you. Has anyone ever said something about you that was not true? Have you ever been accused of doing something that you did not do or saying something that you did not say? Have you ever been betrayed? Has anyone physically hurt you or someone you love? How do you forgive those people who have harmed you emotionally or physically? What about fear? Have you ever received news that caused great fear in your life like an illness or a disease? What about grief? Have you ever grieved the loss of something so much that it interfered with your sleep, daily life, and well-being? These kind of events and emotions overtake us all during our lives. But how do we deal with these things? And how do we invite God into these kind of events and receive healing from Him? These are the topics that I want to discuss with our guest today, Mark Schatzman, as he continues his life change story with us. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I want to encourage you to do so. This is Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. Previously on episode 35, Mark experiences a seven-year season of darkness. He is diagnosed with cancer, his daughter is violently attacked, and the church where he is pastoring is experiencing a split. Now, the rest of Mark's story. So you had some people that were accusing you, some people that were, you know, trying to hang you out to dry and saying things that were false. That's that's one thing. And then you've also got someone that's attacked your mm-hmm. child. Um, and for me, that's, that sounds really hard to offer forgiveness to. Um, what do you say yeah. uh, to say, you know what, let's let this go. We need to forgive this individual. We need to forgive these people. I mean, what, what did you say? How did you deal with that? Here's what I learned about forgiveness through the process. So uh, 99 uh, was the attack, and about 01, late 01 was the, well, honestly, it was a professional betrayal. So I'll just call it at that and leave it at that and leave it as high level as that. Um, what I learned about forgiveness was it is a process that forgiveness is a road we walk more than a destination we arrive at. Eventually it is a destination, but we usually try to come to a place of when have I forgiven them? Check. And when can I move on? What I found out is the road looks a lot like the road Jesus walked to forgiveness, which is a bloody Calvary road. And it was painful. And uh, I found it was the process of learning to let it go and release, because that's really what the word forgiveness means, to release someone from the debt they owe you. So for the perpetrator who's spending a life in jail, it was learning to release him every time the wound and the hurt and the impact of that um, crime 
uh, we felt that in our home, or I saw that in my daughter's eyes. Um, and then it would come up again, and I'd release it again. And every time it would come up, I'd release it again. And in the beginning days, that was um, on good days, 10 times a day, on bad times, bad days, 25 times a day. Uh, and then down the road, that became only five times a day. And then that became only once a day. And then maybe twice a week. And then it began to just, uh, it began to dissipate. Um, so like steam that begins to evaporate off, uh, the, the holding on uh, to that pain and the really the wanting them to hurt. You know, when the lack of forgiveness is wanting to hurt someone for hurting us. And so that boiling point begins to dissipate. And it's, the steam just begins to evaporate. And still occasionally, Eric, now this has been a lot of years, so what are we, 24 years past that, still occasionally, and some might even come up uh, every year or so, uh, a couple of times a year, those memories will come back. And I'll even say it, Lord, I release that. I release that person from being in the debt of this. Um, secondly, um, I had to create some boundaries and some relationships that weren't healthy. Because I realized I could forgive those who um, spoke lies or betrayed, um, but it didn't mean we were going to relate to each other the same way. I think it's at the end of Second uh, uh, Timothy that Paul says to Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did much harm to me. Stay away from him. And so he, he doesn't say don't forgive him. He actually says uh, the Lord will repay. In other words, it's not yours to repay, Timothy. The Lord will take care of that. But wisdom would also say stay away from him. So the, uh, there were some uh, unhealthy uh, tendencies and, and, and patterns in the relationship that I had to create, learn to create some boundaries in. And yet I still was responsible to the, the Savior who had forgiven me more uh, to forgive. I began to start seeing as forgiveness is something I don't have to manufacture. I don't have to work myself up to feeling forgiven. Our forgiveness. Instead, I have to take a little bit of the forgiveness I've been given and just pass it on. Wow. And uh, uh, so out of the bucket I've been given, I just need to scoop out of that and, uh, and pass it on. Uh, and it did begin to dissipate. Um, and uh, I didn't like what was in my own heart during the process of that. You know, hatred came up in my heart. I hate the fact that I hated some other individuals. And I'm aware of the fact that the Apostle James says, if, hey, if you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. I don't think he's saying that God does not love you and that you don't love God, but he's saying that hatred is blocking all of the love of God in there. And I didn't like that. So I hated the fact that I was torn and conflicted inside, but I was so committed to just doing the healthy work there. I got some counsel that was helpful and uh, going through a period of... Uh, of counseling with a trusted counselor was helpful, particularly there for uh, about a six-month period in there where I felt kind of blocked in that uh, in that uh, tension. But more than that, and I'm grateful for the counseling, but I can't tell you there was any miracle cure there. More than that, it was the slow, patient process of the Holy Spirit doing what He says He does and unwinding our heart and helping rewire it. Yeah. I love that you said it's a process, and I, I deal in recovery. I'm, I'm, or I say I deal. In, I'm in recovery, and I'm also serving in a recovery ministry. And we talk about the process. It's a process. It's not, you know, if God just miraculously healed you from an addiction, 
then you wouldn't learn anything. And so I love the fact that you said it was a process. Well, I haven't heard you mention any health issues yet, but I know that that's also a part of your story. Did that happen in the seven-year period that you mentioned earlier as well? And tell us about that. So at the end of 2003, I really worked through the forgiveness journey. Uh, Church was in such a healthier place. It was was growing again in all the ways you care about growing. Um, people growing in their walk with Jesus, people growing and taking good care of each other, and then obviously some people being attracted to that and joining in on that. And so there was a peace that had come over the body. There was a peace that had come over our home as well, and we were enjoying that. I remember out loud saying to Lisa, I get the sense that 2004 is going to be a very fruitful year for us. And in January 2004... Uh, she gave me a hug and found a lump under my arm. And that uh, showed that the melanoma that I'd had on the surface five years earlier had come back, but this time on the inside, and it was in my lymph nodes. And so it was it was a much more aggressive point of treatment. Uh, not that I'm counting Eric, but it meant 153 chemo treatments and some surgery, and uh, and it took 13 months. And I remember that initial thought I had was, Lord, I thought this was going to be a fruitful season. Really? I'm not, being hit by another wave. And yet it was the most fruitful season of my emotional and spiritual life. Physically was not at my best. Uh, actually, I look back at pictures of those days. I thought I was doing pretty well physically. I look back at those pictures and ask Lisa at times, did I always look this gray during that year? Uh, but uh, emotionally and spiritually, I was becoming whole again. Uh, 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 a rhythm and a pace of life was restored. I found I could work 40 hours a week, even taking the chemo treatment. But as soon as I went over 40, I would have these, I can't explain it other than toxic buildups to the chemo. And I would have these blowouts that were just couldn't get off the sofa. And so God took a, a workaholic performance addicted person and said, Hey, how, how about I teach you how to practice Sabbath for the next 13 months? And I learned to begin to practice day off, day of rest, Sabbath. I learned how to pace myself and not overwork during the day. And Eric, you can learn new habits after 13 months. And those 13 months began to rewire me. And I didn't want to go back. I fell back in love with John chapter 15, where he says, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And your job is just to stay close. Abide. Yeah, Mm -hmm. abide and let me do the fruit bearing. You don't have to produce this. And in some ways, it was the most fruitful year of my Christian life, of my family life, of my marriage life. Lisa and I for sure were tired. It's normal for a couple going through all of that to be tired. It's hard for her to be a caregiver. At the end of that season, uh, we moved up here, and we were in a very uh, different scenario on a different church staff team in a new area. And we really fell back into a honeymoon season with each other. Um, I really think in some ways over the last 18 years, we've been enjoying that honeymoon season. Uh, yeah, we walk through all the stuff every couple does. Um, but the remaking of me emotionally, and Lisa would say that for her story too, uh, was the best, uh, uh, the best thing we needed. It was the fruitful year. It just came through a diagnosis that we didn't, didn't want. When you hear the word lump, cancer, and lymph nodes, that's usually involves some fear. Did you have any fear? We did. You know, here's what, um, yes. And uh, my wife's own personal story is uh, she has victoriously and courageously battled anxiety, an anxiety disorder really all of her adult life and has done so with incredible courage and victory 
Um, but I remember, so for think this, a woman who might be become a widow, where they're saying, if you do all of this treatment, if we do all 153 of them, we do the surgery, um, you have a 60% chance of surviving. And you're sitting there thinking, that that's not, like I got 60s in high school. Those were D minuses. Um, I would like a little better uh, odds than that. And I remember looking at this woman who, again, knowing her story and battling anxiety, she just said, I can't go there. I can't go there. Here's what I know. I have a 100% chance of Jesus doing the right thing by us. And I don't know how to walk this scary road without looking at that number. Um, And I remember looking at her saying, I'm stealing that, honey. We've got a 100% chance. Now, did it mean that we just smiled our way through it? No, we had some tears. Oh, it was so hard. Gathering the kids around and telling them the news. Um, Hard telling people that we loved who had stuck by us through so many things um, of this. Um, Ironically, even the church that we loved and served, uh, God used that as a fruitful time in their life because the church learned how to love too in a way that was really uncomfortable for a workaholic, performance-oriented guy. I became the helpless one who had to play the ministry of receiving. I didn't like that. I remember somebody coming up to us after church, and I'm kind of coming back from surgery, and they grabbed Lisa and I after the service in the foyer and said, hey, a group of us have gotten together, and here's what we've decided we're doing. For the next six months, three nights a week, we're bringing a meal. Six months. And we're going to make sure the meal's big enough that you can eat on it for two nights. And I said, oh, we don't need that. Thank you so much. We don't need that. We're okay. And Lisa said, shut up, Mark. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, or I could just say thank you. And I had to learn how to receive. Uh, We had a sweet woman who come to Christ and had a chance as a maid for Molly made to buy her bosses, who was a man that was a dear friend of mine, buy her his franchise. And she came to Christ through our church and came and said, uh, the maids and I who are part of this church want to come by every other Friday and top to bottom clean your home. You know, Eric, we're the kind of family that, you know, I want my kids doing their own chores and I need to do my own chores. And Lisa needs her husband and kids to step up and do the chores. And we started realizing this was a gift to all of us. They said, this is a way we can love you, which is let us love you. And uh, it was it was unifying for the whole body. And it was healing for us. So, Mark, I want to talk to you about one last topic. I want to talk with you about grief. You mentioned in the last episode that you have lost both of your parents in the last 12 months. You had so much grief with your daughter's attack and then the split of the church where you were pastoring. How did you and Lisa deal with all this grief? Um, uh, Grief is all on the job learning. I, I wish, you know, I had... I read some stuff on grief. I had espoused platitudes on grief. I believe some things about grief. I didn't know how to grieve until I had to walk through grief. And it was all on the job training. Second thing we learned, Lisa and I learned, is we're different human beings. She has gifts and talents and temperament that are different than mine. We grieve differently. Um, the biggest thing I think I found about grief is it wasn't going to be fixed by me figuring out and answering some questions about suffering. Like I love to think I really do. I, I'd love to teach. I think because I really love to learn. Um, I think the teacher gets to learn twice. <laughs> and so, um, I couldn't outread it and I couldn't outstudy it. Uh, I couldn't answer why I 
still cannot answer the question of why some of the losses we've incurred and even losses that people I love have incurred. But I don't care about so much the why. There's one other question that I started falling in love with during grief, and that is, I just know who. I know who can hold me when I'm sad. I know who can comfort me. I know who can help me process the real me. So he doesn't need me to pretty up myself before I come to him. Um, I know who can even use grief and loss uh, for greater good. And in our home, another phrase we used to say, particularly my daughter and I, we'd say, can God use this crime for good? I know he's not behind it. I know he didn't author it. I know evil offered it. And I think the king of hell himself authored it. But I know God can use it because the greatest evil that the earth has ever seen happened on a cross and the greatest good that the earth has ever seen came out of it. Amen. And so mine must fit somewhere in that. And, uh, and so I learned to run to who, uh, Psalm 62 became a lifeline for me. I must've read it, um, helplessly and hopelessly most mornings, uh, uh, during the height of the grief and uh, it, it encourages us to come and pour out our hearts before the Lord, put our tears before him, and that he is our refuge in a safe place. But then it closes with one line. It says, one thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And I began to find that God is both powerful and loving, and those twin points of the of those twin tips of the anchor started to hold me. Um, he could handle my tears. He could make me make sense of my tears. Even I couldn't make sense of the crime or I couldn't make sense of the betrayal. I could make sense of the tears and the pain. And then he could even use it for a greater good. He has made my daughter the woman she is. She is a, she is a force of grace and strength and joy. And she's as real and dynamic as they come. Um, only God can take loss and do that. And he's done some sweet and beautiful things and leases in my life through it too. Only God can take loss and do that. So um, I think that's what gives me hope in the grief is, is the God who's one loving and two powerful. So he's good enough to do something with this grief and he's strong enough to be able to work good. Amen. So last question, what advice would you give someone who says, I'm just going through a really tough time in my life, a really hard season, and it's not, I didn't do anything, I don't have any addictions, or I don't have these, I don't have sin in my life, but these bad things keep happening. And it sounds very familiar to what you just shared. Bad things keep happening, and God, I wanted a fruitful season. What would you, what advice would you give to them if they're going through this season? First thing I would say is this story is not over yet. And, um, and when we get to the end of the story, we will see, oh, there has been a good and strong author behind it. So take hope that this is not, this is a chapter and the chapter is hard. Own it, own it and acknowledge it's hard, but it is not the story. Do not confuse the chapter with the whole story. And then the second thing, uh, I would say in that is while you're in that difficult chapter, uh, be careful of the, uh, of the questions that you'll ask yourself. You will think that comfort comes from knowing why. But truly, does it hurt any less even if you could figure out all the whys? It doesn't. It just makes you smarter and still hurting. Um, comfort only comes in knowing who. You know, who rules over this? 
Who can meet me in it and bring comfort in it? And then who can even use it for a greater good? And that takes me to the person of Jesus Christ, who is the only one good enough and strong enough. And I know that because there's a cross that tells me. The cross is good and the cross is both strong and good uh, to, to take me to him. Mark, thanks so much for sharing the rest of your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you want to know why something bad has happened to you, as Mark said, don't focus on the why. Focus on who can help you through this circumstance. God is waiting to walk you through any valley that you may be experiencing. He is waiting to heal you and change the hurt in your life. Surrender your hurt to Jesus because he can change your perspective. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.